Well, we're going to finish up what we started. <laughs> it seems like a long time ago. Man, it's just been, uh, it's been a great series, but it's been one of those where we've kind of uh, taken breaks and piecemeal here and there, and so appreciate your patience as we uh, work our way through this. So we're going to finish it up today. Uh, the series we started called Freed to Be Free. One of the things that we have been freed from in our walk with Christ is we have been freed from the shackles of religion. And we have been invited into a living, dynamic relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's one of the things we celebrate. And the reason is because when Jesus came into the world, he didn't come into the world to introduce another form of religion. Rather, Jesus came to introduce a new and living way through a relationship with God, through his Holy Spirit living and dwelling inside of us. In fact, the thing that got first century Christians in trouble with Rome wasn't what they believed. And it really wasn't even what they were teaching. What got first century Christians in trouble with Rome is they were so fascinated by a person, the person of Jesus Christ. The reason it drove the Roman officials crazy was because they had crucified and killed Jesus. And in those days, once you killed the leader, it generally took care of the movement. But what Jesus had begun would not die, and it would not go away. When the Roman leaders would actually pin these Christian believers down, literally, their devotion wasn't to a cult. Their devotion wasn't to a movement. Their devotion was to a dead person who they claimed resurrected from the dead, was alive forevermore, and his spirit his Holy Spirit resided inside of them, allowing them to carry on the ministry that Jesus was doing upon the earth and really basically doing everything Jesus had done. And Rome, they didn't know how to push back. They didn't know how to counter this. In this case, this wasn't a dead person who had died 50 or 100 years ago. This was a dead person who died recently right outside their city in some cases. And many of these people who had known Jesus personally, I mean, they witnessed his ministry firsthand. They heard the authority by which he taught. They observed all of the miracles and the healings Jesus did. And now they were convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that somehow Jesus was alive again and his spirit lived and dwelt inside of them. And here we are today, folks, over 2,000 years later, the Roman Empire is gone, and we continue to teach and believe that Jesus is God in human flesh, lived a sinless life upon the earth, which qualified him to be crucified and to die for the sins of the world, satisfying the, the uh, debt sin demanded. We believe he was resurrected three days later, 
ascended to the right hand of the Father, and on the day of Pentecost, as promised, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit so those who believe in him, his spirit would live and dwell inside of them, enabling them to do again all that Jesus did. This is what we believe. This is what the Bible teaches. This is what we would call Christianity 101. But somewhere along the way, this living, dynamic, vibrant, Holy Spirit, relationship-driven life took a turn, and it became, like so many other movements did, it just became another religion. And Jesus never meant, he never intended for what he began to become that so one of, one of your problems and the reason many people struggle the way they do with sin and struggling to follow Jesus is because we have bought into what's been taught and modeled for us. And many, many people on the earth today approach Christianity like a religion And you need to understand, Jesus never intended that. Jesus never came to start another religion. I don't know if you know this, but all religions kind of have several things in common. In fact, let me just kind of summarize religion in general. Here's religion in general. You ought to, you don't, you're toast, okay? That that is religion in a nutshell. Pick any religion, And you'll go and you'll sit under some leader or some teacher and they'll say, here's what you ought to do. You're like, all right, I'm going to do that. And then you don't do that and they go, oh no, you've blown it. You're in big trouble now. In fact, C.S. Lewis in his book, The Abolition of Man, he goes through and he looks at all of these religions And Lewis comes away and he says, all religions have laws or rules in common. And they're kind of the same rules, and he gives a a kind of a short list, and here are just a few of them. In all religions, here's what you're going to find. Don't harm others. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't have sex with another person's spouse. In other words, don't commit adultery. Care for the weak. Care for the poor. And again, these are just a few of the rules all religions have in common. And our response to those rules or laws is, all right, I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to be a religious person. Pick any religion. And then we'll say, oh, I didn't do right, and you come back, oh, I'm in big trouble with the God or the gods or whoever. All of these religions have something in common. The other thing that religions have in common is this. Once you break the rules, every religion has some more rules to help you know what to do now that you've broken the rules, okay? Unfortunately, Christianity, up until about the year 20 AD, took a turn towards religion and began to lose this sense of it's a living, vibrant relationship with a living, resurrected Savior. And it began to take on this form of religion. And here's why. And most of us can relate to this. We can understand this. Because our default when it comes to God is religion. Our fallback 
when it comes to God is rules. Just tell me what are the rules, what are the laws, and I will do my best to try to keep them. And here's what we do. We talked about this. See, the rules, the laws we keep, the ones we obey, make us proud, make us arrogant. Look at me. I'm so good. I'm so righteous. I'm so holy, unlike you. So we obey those laws and rules, and it makes us proud. When we break those rules, we experience shame, guilt, and condemnation. Oh, I did it again. I'm not worthy. I'll never get this. I might as well just give up. And we, again, we just, we experience that shame, that guilt, that condemnation. So we get on this religious teeter-totter and back and forth, up and down we go. Oh, I had a good day. I obeyed all of the rules. Oh, I didn't have such a good day. I broke several of the rules. You know what? I'm just going to try harder tomorrow. I'm just going to dedicate myself more tomorrow. And this back and forth, up and down, goes on until we eventually figure out through exhaustion we figure out a way. We're very, very clever with this. Some of you more clever than others. But we kind of begin to find a way to dumb down the rules. And or we will find enough loopholes that when we break the rules, we can still find a way to feel good about ourselves. And from there, we form our own version of our own religion. Now, this is essentially true of all religions. Every religion has loopholes. I know the religion, the laws, the rules say this, but I don't want to feel bad about myself, so I think it really means this. Again, we look for loopholes. It's the nature of religion. So every religion eventually becomes full of hypocrites, Christianity included, because eventually we opt for religion over a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. So this morning, that's my introduction. This morning, I want to try to explain to you the difference between following Jesus, approaching Jesus, following Jesus, the way Jesus talked about it, the way the apostle Paul talked about it, the way first century Christians in the book of Acts modeled it versus a religious approach to Christianity. Now, if you go with the religious approach to Christianity, that's fine. And by the way, you will be in the majority but you're going to be frustrated your whole life because it doesn't work. See, here's what a lot of you have signed up for. You've signed up for a form of Christianity that says to you, I'm going to try to be more and more like Jesus. Good luck with that. <laughs> the truth is, you can't even be like anybody else. I mean, you can't be, and none of us in here, we can't be like, we will never play football like Tom Brady. It ain't going to happen, okay? You can't be like your favorite singer. You can't be like your favorite actor or actress. No matter how hard you try, you're not going to sing like Celine C- 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 Dion. 
Celine Dion. I can't even say her name, let alone sing. You, you cannot act like whoever. You can't dance like whomever. And you're never, ever going to be on a winning team if you play for the Minnesota Vikings, okay? Good, your reaction gives me a minute to get a drink of water. Carry on, you know it's true. So the reality is, folks, is you cannot, you can't be like somebody else. How are you ever going to be like Jesus? So you're just going to be frustrated your whole life. But here's the good news. It was never, ever God's intent when he sent his son into the world to send Jesus into the world as a model for you to somehow live up to because you can't. So, G, so God sent and Jesus came to give his life, not only for you, but for his spirit to dwell on the inside of you. Thereby, I think Paul says in Galatians, you no longer live, but Christ lives in you. You've died to self, and now God, through Christ, through the Holy Spirit, is alive and lives in you and through you, and until that becomes your approach to following Jesus, you're just gonna be a Christian who acts like all other religions and tries to live up to a law and a bunch of rules and a standard you're never gonna be able to live up to. Now Paul, who gives us all this rich insight we've been looking into the last couple of weeks, he kind of gives us a snapshot of what it was like when he was a religious person. Like many of us, trying to keep God's law and at the end of the day, feeling like a total failure. Romans 7, 15, here's Paul. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Now, now, this is not the experience of a pagan. This is the experience of a religious person. Paul's reflecting on his life as Saul. Paul, who was once Saul, was someone who had the religion thing down pat. As a matter of fact, he said, when it came to keeping the laws, I did it perfectly. And now, here's what he's saying. I know what I ought to do. I don't do it. I feel guilty all the time. Folks, this is the confession, the honest confession of a religious person who tried to keep all of the laws and the rules perfectly. Then, at some point, about 280 AD, the church came along and said, we know how to solve this problem. We're going to give you some more rules to go along with the rules you've broken. You can do penance. You can say several of these Hail Marys. You can say several of those. And in the old days, you know, you can walk uh, down the street on your knees or just go to Fleet Farm. Um, you can pay God back by suffering. This is you can pay God back by doing things. I mean, every time you fall short Religion comes along and says, we're going to give you some more stuff to do so you can make it up to God. 
So the whole church just kind of took this swing toward religion because that's what religion does. And Paul says, I understand that. I understand that frustration. So Paul goes on in Romans 7, 16, and he says, and if I do what I do not want to do, and here's our jumping off place today. I agree, this is Paul, I agree that the law, now this is the law of God, just pick any law, there's 630 of them to choose from in the Mosaic law. These are the laws that God gave to Moses in the first five books of the Old Testament. This is what Paul's talking about there. He says, I agree that the law is good. In other words, Paul's saying, I'm not saying the rules, the laws of God are bad. I'm just saying I can't keep them. Paul says, I think everybody should put other people first. I just don't do that very well. I don't think we should be lusting after each other's wives. But you know, every once in a while, I'm guilty of that. Paul's saying, I don't think that I should be stingy. I think I should be generous. But sometimes, you know what? I just keep more for myself. I know I shouldn't lose my temper, but I do. I think the laws are good. I think people ought to be generous and honest and kind. I believe all of that. Paul's saying, I just don't do it very consistently. Which we would say, welcome to religion. So much of Paul's biblical writings, he talks about our relationship with the law. Now again, Paul's specifically talking about the Jewish law here, but when he talks about a relationship with the law, folks, this applies to every religion. In fact, if you're not a religious person, maybe you're here this morning, you don't even really consider yourself a Christian, this applies to you and your own law because whether you believe in God or not, everybody has a list of rules and laws that they try to live by. And everybody has a way they think they ought to live that they don't even live up to. We don't even live up to our own standards. So this, this applies to everyone. So in the New Testament writing of Paul's, because it's such a different way of viewing life, Paul is doing his best to differentiate between following Jesus, the resurrected living person, between following Jesus who was crucified and killed 25 years ago, but they're still devoted, they're still following him, the difference between following Jesus and living under the law. And here's the thing, as long as you approach Christianity by, there's a God, he's given us rules to follow, and by golly, I'm going to do my very best to live up to the rules, you will never experience the Christian life the way it was intended to be lived. So Paul says stuff like this in Romans 8, 3, he says, for what the law, your law, my law, Jewish laws, whatever law, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did. Look at that verse. For what the law was powerless to do. Do you know what the law of God is good for? 
Do you want to know why God gave the law to Moses in those first five books of the Old Testament? Listen to how Paul answers that question in Galatians 3.19. He says, well then, why was the law given? It was given to show people how guilty they are. That, that's the purpose. It wasn't so that we would take the top 10, frame them, and put them up on our wall as if they were some kind of a standard that we needed to live up to. Paul says those laws, they really were given so that you and I would know how guilty we are. In Romans 3.20, Paul also says this regarding the purpose of the law. He says, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Listen to this. This is so powerful. The law cannot help you become a better law keeper. Amen? The law cannot help you become a better law keeper. The law can't help you become a better person. The law is a mirror of how awful you are. Thanks be to God, right? The law, it is a mirror of all of the defects, the flaws, failures, the deformities of how evil we are. The law doesn't help you at all, and it was designed to be that way. Romans 8.3, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did. Now here comes the contrast. God has done something for us the law could not do. Paul says when it comes to the law of God, even though it's good, it's righteous. Paul tells us God's law actually increases the power of sin in your life. Do you know God's law, though good, kind of supercharges the power of sin? It does. Because here's what happens. The law reminds you of what you ought to do. You don't do it, and then the law is there to say, gotcha. You didn't do it. So the law becomes the judge, jury, and executioner. Let me summarize it this way. Approaching God through the law again, it's our default. It's our fallback. It's just what we do. This is what you were taught to do. Maybe your mom and dad taught you to do this. Maybe your priest or pastor taught you this. Religion teaches this. That we approach God through the law. It's the default. It's just what we do. There's a good God. He has told us some good stuff to do. So I'll do my best to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. And then out the door we go for another week of frustrated, miserable, defeated living. And we come back and we say, certainly the pastor's got to have something to say about this. Because this kind of a life, it just leads to defeat because you're just not that good. I'm just not that good in and of myself. We all fall short, and then we smooth it over, and we'll kind of, again, look for those loopholes. Well, nobody's perfect. I'm not Jesus. Then we go right back to trying to keep the law. And Paul's saying to us in his writings, okay, I just want to take you in a completely new direction. Continuing with Romans 8.3, he says the law of Moses was unable to save us. Not able. 
Wasn't what it was designed to do is what he's saying. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So again, what is our response? Add more laws. Add more rules. Well, the problem is Paul sees it has nothing to do with the rules. The problem is the weakness of our flesh. And no amount of rules or laws is going to fix that, folks. So God did what the law could not do. What did he do? Paul tells us he sent his own son in a body like the body we sinners have. And in that body, Christ's physical body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Man, if you don't have that highlighted in your Bible, highlight it. That's the purpose. In that body, in Christ's body, he declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. God did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but, and here's the contrast, but instead follow the Spirit. So Paul is laying out before us a completely different approach. Here's what you've done. It leads in failure. I'm going to give you a new way that's going to take you in victory. Paul says if you'd like to live free from the power of sin, you have got to learn how to live out from underneath the law by following the Holy Spirit. In other words, the road divides. There are now two approaches totally different one leads to failure 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 frustration you'll have good days you'll have good weeks and eventually it'll all fall apart and you're going to be right back where you started full of guilt shame and condemnation now if you have your bibles with you and you want to follow we're going to be in galatians chapter 5 but before we jump in there let me give you a snapshot of how jesus envisioned pictured our relationship to be with him here's how jesus saw it. Here's how Jesus understood it in John 15, 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain, abide in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, I want you just to look at that verse carefully. What does that verse tell you about the Ten Commandments? What does that verse tell you about God's law? Nothing. It's absolutely nothing to say with God's laws, with Ten Commandments. See, here's how it works with Jesus. Jesus says, you know what? This different approach to religion, this new and living way, you're going to learn. And I just want you to forget about the laws and the rules for a second. You have got to learn to abide in me. And then he gives this illustration. He says, it's like a vine and a branch. And the life of the vine flows into the branch, and then the branch bears fruit. Then at the end of the verse, Jesus says, oh yeah, by the way, apart from me, apart from this kind of relationship of abiding in me, you can do nothing. See, to the, but to the religious person, <clears throat> we would say, oh, <clears throat> I beg to differ. Uh, I'm pretty good most of the time. Tell me what to do and, and I'll try. I mean, tell me what the rules are and I will be more disciplined. And Jesus is going, I don't even want you to try. 
I don't want you to go out there and keep the law. I don't want you to go out there and just be a rule follower. I want you to change directions, and I want you just to learn how to abide in me. And Jesus said, if you'll learn this secret, if you'll allow me to teach you this secret, if you'll just change your mindset, if you'll just change your entire approach to following me, Jesus said, there will be no need for rule keeping or law obedience. Just learn how to abide and remain in me. This is the new approach Paul prescribes, the new paradigm of what it means to follow Jesus, to be Holy Spirit led. Then you flip over to the New Testament book of Galatians and Paul tries to give us some handles on what it means to abandon lawful living, begin to understand what it means to have this growing, living, vibrant daily walk with the living, resurrected Christ whose spirit lives in you because you are in him. So here's what he says, ready, here we go. Galatians 5, 16. So I say, walk by the spirit. Okay, God, (laughs) really it would just be a whole lot easier if you would just say things like don't lie and don't cheat and don't steal. We know what that means. We know what it means to not commit adultery, walk by the Spirit. What? Paul says, here's the new paradigm. Here's the new way. I want you to give up. I want you to abandon trying to keep the rules and the law. And I want you just to learn how to abide in me. I want you just to begin to learn how to walk by my spirit. And again, to walk, it means to keep in in step with, to be sensitive to. Don't get too far ahead. Don't lag too far behind. Keep in step. Walk by. Be sensitive to. Take your cues. Take your direction from the spirit of God who is in you because you're in Christ and Christ is in you. And then Paul goes on to say, here's what happens in Galatians 5.16, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. How many of you are struggling with that? Oh, yeah, pastor, just give me more rules and laws, more do's and don'ts. And, and Paul just simply says, man, if you'll just walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Obeying the law, keeping the rules is what we used to do. Keeping the rules and laws is what we used to do to try to keep from gratifying The desires of the flesh. The problem was, according to Paul, it didn't work. And our life experience validates that. It had nothing to do with the rules or the law. It was good, Paul says. But it was the weakness of our human flesh. We had moments, yeah, all of us. We had stretches of days where maybe we were successful. But eventually the temptations, they become too much. And we just caved. Our flesh was too weak. But now Paul says that spirit that raised Christ from the dead, now dwells in you. And when you learn how to abide in him, draw upon his strength, and learn how to walk by the Spirit, this is the way to overcome. This is the pathway to victory. Instead of waking up every day and saying, God, I promise I'm not going to do this, and I promise I'm not going to do that. I'll do better. I'll try harder. Paul says, no, no, no. Forget all of that. Throw that all away. That is law living. That is rule keeping. You're going to fail. You're going to be miserable. Paul says instead, I want you to learn how to abide in Jesus. I want you to learn 
how to walk by his spirit. And when you learn to walk by the Holy Spirit, you know what, when you get to the end of the day, you get to the end of the week, you're gonna look back and because you learned to walk by the spirit, you will not have gratified the desires of the flesh. Now, Paul continues on in Galatians 5, 17. He says, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict, they're in battle with each other, so you are not to do whatever you want. Now, every translation of the um, English Bible translates this last sentence differently, but let me tell you what I think Paul's trying to say here. Paul's saying, look, this conflict is the conflict. It is the battle we have all experienced. God wants me to do this, but I want to do this. The Spirit of God is leading you one way. Your flesh is leading you another way. And again, Paul's saying whenever you find yourself in this tug of war, back and forth between the flesh and the Spirit, you're going to lose. It's a lose-lose. Because folks, in that situation, whatever way you go, if you obey the law, you know what? You're gonna, it's going to lead to arrogance. It's going to lead to haughtiness. Look how good I am. Look how faithful I am. If you fail and give in to the flesh, it leads to shame, guilt, and condemnation. It's a lose-lose. That's what he's saying there. So he says in Galatians 5.18, he follows this up at verse 17. He says, but if. Paul's introducing a contrast here. He's introducing a different way, a different path, a different avenue other than that conflict, that battle you and I experience with the flesh and the spirit. He says, but if you are, and again, he's taking us back to the original idea, led by the spirit, you are not under the law. If you're led by the spirit, if you're learning that secret of abiding in Jesus, of just walking in step with him, he says, you're no longer under the law. Because the Holy Spirit is leading you, not a bunch of rules and laws. So you see the difference? Those rules and laws will likely, in many cases, it'll agree with where and how the Holy Spirit is leading, in, leading you, but you're following him, not the rules and laws. You see the difference? It's a whole different way of thinking than God, I know here are all the things you want me to do, and by golly, I'm gonna do them. He says if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law, that conflict is going to be different. That conflict is gonna be diminished. Paul goes on in verse 19. He says the acts of the flesh are obvious. In fact, they're so obvious, he lists them. You can look them up yourself. He says that the acts of the flesh are obvious. We all know what they are, don't we? It's all that bad stuff that screws up our lives. Now look at this contrast. Are you ready? Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, when you see this list, here's what religious people think. Here's how law keepers respond to Galatians 5.22. They think, all right, all right, I'm going to be a good Christian. I'm going to be more loving. 
I am going to be more joyful if it kills me. I'm going to have more peace, patience, kindness, goodness. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be gentle. And by golly, I'm going to get four accountability partners. I'm going to start getting up an hour earlier every morning. I'm going to memorize scripture. And I am going to have more self-control. God, thank you for the list. I'm on my way. I know now what I need to do. And Paul says, no, it's fruit. These are virtues. These are characteristics the Holy Spirit produces in you. I can't do it. Pastor Jim cannot produce these in you, contrary to rumors. (laughs) Not his. None of us. There's not a person in this room that can produce any of this in you. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, if I could, I would have. Honestly. Paul says, no, these are virtues of the Holy Spirit that he produces in you as you abide in him. As you just kind of learn to walk by the Spirit, Paul says, this is not a to-do list. It's not another list of rules. Don't even look at this in that way. Rather, invite God. Allow God to bear and produce these fruits in you. And you know what? At the end of the day, the end of the week, the end of the month, as you begin to learn this, as you begin to learn to abide in Christ, as you begin to learn to walk by the Spirit, you're going to look behind you. You're going to look at your past life, and you're going to go, wow, Where did this come from? How did this happen? It's just like all of a sudden my temper is not as bad as it used to be. People are noticing that I'm not as negative of a person as I used to be. My addictions, you know what? They're not as big of a struggle as they used to be. My wife or my spouse says, I have a lot more patience lately. I feel like something is changing me. And Paul goes on in Galatians 5.25 and he says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Folks, that's the Christian life. That's what Jesus came to give us and to give us in abundance. It's keeping in step. It's keeping in union with the Spirit of God. And again, it is a completely different approach. It's a whole different mindset. This is not just a couple of verses pulled out of here and there. It is the entire New Testament. And folks, if we do not learn this way of abiding and walking in the Spirit, you will just become religious and you'll be frustrated your entire life. It is about keeping in step with the Holy Spirit as opposed to keeping the law. One leads to frustration. The other leads to freedom. So let me just kind of close. I'm going to just kind of give you some starter stuff, some ideas. It really starts with accepting this new identity that says, I am in Christ and Christ is in me. What is true of Christ is now true of me because I am in Christ. 
His history is now my history because of what Jesus did on the cross for me through the breaking of his body, the shedding of his blood. I'm forgiven. I am accepted. I am completely loved. As a matter of fact, there is nothing more that you can do to make God love you anymore. We have died to the power of sin. Sin no longer reigns over us and we are alive unto God. I am in Christ. This is who I am in my union with him. That is the beginning. It's deciding in those times when we are tempted to say yes to sin, we just simply say, sin, you are no longer my master. You no longer have any power or control over me. Sin, you can't have my eyes. No, sin, you can't have my feet because today I'm going to do my best to keep in step with the Holy Spirit and I'm gonna go where he leads me. I'm gonna do what he tells me and I'm gonna live how he tells me to live. Holy Spirit, I want you to lead me. Holy Spirit, I want you to talk to me. Holy Spirit, I I want you to teach Teach me to hear your voice. Holy Spirit, teach me how to abide. Teach me how to walk in the Spirit and allow you to produce your fruit in me. And the final thing, and I probably just need to do a whole series of messages on this, and someday I will. Refuse to interact with God on the basis of the law. Refuse. Don't go there. This is what gets us every time. To interact with God on the basis of the law sounds like this. I did it again, God. I did it again. Oh, I'm just, I try harder, God. I'll do better. But our response just simply needs to be, God, I got out of step with you. God, in this particular place in my life, I wasn't abiding in you. I yielded to the flesh instead of your spirit. I'm so sorry. And God, I want to get back in step with you. And I want to begin to pick up where we left off. And God, I'm just, Jesus, I just want to abide in you and you and me. Now, I'll be honest. It is easier to be religious. But it's way more frustrating I just want you to know that the Christian life, it is not about trying to imitate Jesus. You can't. The Christian life is the life of Christ alive and living inside of you. It's what guarantees you go to heaven when you die. It's what guarantees that the power of sin has no hold on you. It's what allows you to say no to sin. It's what allows you to say to sin, no, I've been saying yes to you in that area my whole life, and guess what? No more. I don't have to because I am in Christ, and Christ is in me, and the power of sin has been broken. It's what allows you to live in victory this side of heaven. It's just a brand new approach. It's how the New Testament church was launched and there's always been a remnant of people who have never, ever let go of this approach to the Christian life. Amen? Here's what I wanna do. Worship team, you can come back up on the platform. If you're here this morning, and maybe you just feel like as we kind of talked about this whole thing with religion and law, and maybe you kind of see a lot of your life, or maybe even parts of your life where you would say that's true of you. There are laws and rules I've been trying to keep, and I just break them over and over and over again, and I'm just on this roller coaster with God where things are good, things are bad. He loves me. He doesn't love me. Uh, God is for me. Now he's against me. God's punished. I mean, this is what religion does. 
So if all or maybe just some parts of your life, you would kind of look at that and you'd say, man, that's me. And maybe today as we kind of just talked again about this different approach, this different way that Paul wants to take us, where Jesus wants to take us, maybe you're just saying, man, that's, that's me. And, and, and I just want to be able just to say this morning to God, I just want to go where your Holy Spirit wants me to go. I want to say what your Holy Spirit wants me to say. I, I want to live the way your Holy Spirit wants me to live. And if you would say, Holy Spirit, I want you to lead me. Holy Spirit, I want you to talk to me. Holy Spirit, I want you to teach me. I can't do this. If I could, I would. I can't do this. This is what the relationship is about. If I could do this for you, it would negate the relationship with God that he so desperately wants with you. This is what part of the relationship is about. When we get into relationship with God, he begins to teach us how to abide in Jesus, how to walk by the Spirit. I can't do this for you. But if you're here this morning, you would say, Holy Spirit, teach me how to abide. Teach me how to walk in the Spirit. Teach me how to hear your voice and yield my life, surrender my life in order that you will produce fruit in me. If that is you this morning, I just simply want you to stand. Uh, we're just going to invite you to come forward this morning. Um, and, and we're just going to, we are just going to anoint you with oil this morning. That sound good, Jim? So why don't some of you just come up here this morning, Mark and Cassie, Janie, uh, Jim and Mary. Um, come on up, guys. Grab a vial of oil here. And I just want you guys just to begin to just anoint people with oil. I think we've got some oils here if you want to grab those mark and just kind of pass those out and, and oil is simply a, a representation it symbolizes the holy spirit so that's why we're just going to use the oil we're just going to anoint you again that's just a reminder of the the promise the power the presence of the holy spirit so as as we just anoint you all we're simply saying is we just want it we just want more we want more of you holy spirit we, we want more of your voice. We want more of your leading in our lives. And so that's, that's all we're asking for. And again, you, you may be, have areas of your life where, where that's, that's going great. There may be other places where maybe this morning you're trying to keep some rules and some religion. So what I want to do this morning is I just, I just want to release the Holy Spirit to just take you in, into an even deeper um, place. I'm gonna be anointed with oil this morning. This is something I think we all, uh, all need. It is something that God wants to do in us this morning. So we just invite you as you feel ready just to kind of come and we'll just end our time together in worship.